the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) Welcome back to the latest episode of the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. As always, we will be your co-hosts. I'm Lizzie, and this is Dean. Now, if you find value in this episode, be sure to give us a like, subscribe, and drop a comment below on YouTube. Share us with your friends, give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app, and if you want to take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram, just do that by putting in at flex underscore success. And while you're on Instagram, you can check out everything we offer from our eBooks to courses and programs. You can book a consultation or inquire about coaching via the link in our bio, or you can do that on our website. Enjoy the episode. Now, sometimes there's topics that are really interesting, but not that useful. And sometimes things that are really useful and not that interesting. But today, I think we've, we've found a topic that's kind of both. Useful, interesting. <laughs> no, it's not like brunch. It's not like... <laughs> Anyways. Look, I thought I'd just throw it out there. <laughs> hey, what's what's it called when you combine two words together? We learned that on Harry Mack. Oh, yeah, you put me on the spot and I can't think of it. I can't think of it either. But anyways, something um, gram, a something gram. Yeah, I don't remember. But we are talking about modes of measurement. And before you go, that's not interesting at all. Let me How break it down. How big is your what? No, okay. Derailing. Bank account. I'm derailing this early. No, that's yeah. not yeah. the topic at all. We're talking about modes of measurement. People think that BMI is absolutely useless. Some people think it's awesome. Some people are like, you know what? No, don't use BMI, use skin folds. No, use DEXA scans. No, circumference measurements. Mm, or we could always dunk people underwater and measure the displacement. Hi, what's it called? Hydro... Static, hydrostatic underwater weighing. That's it. Hydro, that's a big word. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to talk about them. Which ones should we be doing? Should we be doing any of them? Should we be doing all of them? Yeah. But before we get there, personal update. Ooh. I just got back a couple of days ago from Portugal again. Mm. I uh, made my way back to Portugal to support uh, my client, Ethan, who uh, was actually at his second pro show for bodybuilding in men's classic uh, bodybuilding. And it was unreal. Mm. Two reasons why it was unreal. Uh, three reasons. One, it's just always fun to hang out with people that you haven't officially met before. And I did that. Stayed with Ethan and his lovely now fiance. Mm, they got engaged on stage, didn't they? Yeah, Marilyn. So congratulations to both of them, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was exciting. And then also because he moved up from his debut ninth place at the Spain uh, show to fifth at the show in a tougher lineup. So he improved out of sight. And the third one was, it was a real nice reintroduction into bodybuilding shows for me as a non-competitor because typically they're not run amazingly. Understatement of the century. Um, They're usually behind time, a little disorganized, perhaps a little bit lower on the budget scheme. Not not most of the Australian shows, to be honest. Tony runs awesome shows too. But, man, this show was out of this world. Mm. It was at the casino in Estoril in Portugal, and they had the bodybuilders come out of the floor on a turnstile so that they look like trophies. So like Dean showed me a video of this. I'm trying to verbally explain it. They were like standing on this stage or platform that was under the level of the actual like ground level of the stage. And they would come up spinning like slowly. I mean, it was basically Cirque du Soleil. (laughs) Really? Was Uh, it? I mean. (laughs) For those who are newer to listening to the podcast, Dean and I, as of well, very late December, let's just call it the beginning of 2020, became nomads and we've been in Europe floating around currently in Croatia. 
So Dean flew back to Portugal for what, just just shy of a week? Yes, yeah, four and nights. And we'd already just been freedom. there for what, nine, ten weeks? Yeah, close to three months. So it was nice to go back to something familiar. Yeah, nice. And, uh, yeah, congratulations to Ethan and also to Marilyn. Yeah. Oh, Maz. Yeah, so he, after they uh, gave the awards out, he Not just... quite. No? No, he did it on his routine, which is pre-awards. Oh. So here's the, here's the interesting thing, right, is the top ten in the men's pro bodybuilding are the only ones who get to do their routines. Okay. And there Which, was, for those outside of bodybuilding, is like a little dance. Yeah, and yeah. there was 19 competitors. Okay. So even the lady said to him backstage, because me and Ethan are talking about, like, how am I going to get you the ring? Where are you going to put it? Et cetera, et cetera, right? And then she's like, what if you don't make top 10? Yeah. And Ethan just looked at her and went, I'll be making top 10. Oh, my gosh. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so cocky. And I shit you not. Did he have I'm a pa- plan B? He said he was going to do it anyway. Oh. Um, I'm not sure how, but okay. anyway, it worked out. He Good. killed it. And she said yes. I mean, she had to. She was on stage. Did she cry? Did he cry? No, neither of them cried. No. Oh. I think he was uh, honestly more excited for the steak that I let him have at the restaurant after the show. Um, speaking so. of excited guys, you might have he- heard me mention it quite a few times because I've been wanting this for ages. This is more exciting than Ethan and Marilyn getting engaged, just putting this out there. I've wanted a soundboard for ages. And what I mean by that is if someone says something that I don't particularly like, I want to be able to do... <laughs> That sound. And Dean, I have, I have the, uh, this impression that I'm going to be booing you a lot moving forward. I can also do this. <laughs> this is problematic. Uh, look, Don't do more. Don't save them for the I've podcast. I've got so many sounds. We'll spend the first 10 minutes so many sounds. going through sounds. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So uh, it's very exciting, very exciting time. Liz wanted this years ago. I said flat out, no chance, you can't be trusted. It's true, um, I can't be. Kay has now made this possible by giving you this sounding board. Kay's one of the girls that helps us in the, in the back of house that you wouldn't be familiar with. And I am nervous. Yeah. Look, I just sort of realised, Dean said no, but I don't really need your permission. I so can't believe I... there's not a fart button on them. Oh, I need to add a fart sound. Yeah. You know anyway, what, Dean? What's... No, don't do it. Save oh. it. Save it. <laughs> I was about to do that. What's your your personal update? I'm going to give you guys a flex update, not a personal update. We do other things outside of one-on-one coaching. We've got books, obviously this podcast. We've got some mini courses. One of the courses we have is the macro tracking mini course, which teaches people how to track with ease and accuracy for better results. And I really like that course. And we had lots of great um, feedback to help lots of people, lots of coaches and personal trainers suggest it to their clients so that they can learn how to do it properly and I just figured why not make a good thing even better Mm. so I've gone ahead and done that and me and Kay who Dean mentioned before one of of our assistants we have gone ahead and rejigged it and there's more video lessons now they've all been re-recorded they're clearer there's now a function to ask questions on every video lesson there's some further learning material if anyone wants to learn more They're pretty short. Some of them are just a few minutes up to, I think the longest lesson is 10 or 15 minutes. Um, And they help you understand exactly what you need to know. So, And I believe you can learn from scratch or you can upgrade your skill set should you already be tracking. Yeah, there's a mini course and a pro course. So at the time of this um, podcast going live, it should only be a few days away from version two going live. So check it out soon. You will see it. And the code is, there isn't one. There is no code. It's worth every dollar. <laughs> Don't be cheap. 
<laughs> we put so much of our lives into this. Don't be It obviously is worth every dollar. It's not, <laughs> it's not too expensive, that's for damn sure. No, no, not at all. Um, but shall we, shall we get on with it, Dean? Yeah, so modes of measurement. Modes of measurement. Measuring body composition. Composition? Composition being like we can look at the differentiation between lean tissue, so all things not including fat. We could maybe break lean tissue down into muscle tissue specifically. Um, and that's pretty much it. And body fat percentage. And also yeah. body weight. Body weight is important too to look at, like how much do you weigh in total? Yeah, so when people are looking at modes of measurement, BMI is a popular one. Uh -huh. And there's this idea in the fitness industry that BMI means sweet fuck all and we should never use it. Why? Why shouldn't we use it? Well, BMI is made for general population, people that don't train for hypertrophy or muscle gain that have average levels of body fat and average is pretty damn low, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So BMI is your body weight in kilos uh, divided by the square, your square height. Yeah, in centimetres. Yeah, in yeah in centimetres. And that means that taller people have a heavier weight allowance than shorter people. It makes sense. But what happens when somebody, we can even use ourselves as examples, mm. people with uh, higher amounts of muscle mass do BMI. They might more easily be pushed into overweight or obese ranges because their body weight, more of that is made up of muscle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think like um, to steal Broderick's term, which I always do, Broderick Chavez, it is right tool for the right job, okay. uh, which is why we're doing this podcast too, to discuss these modes so that we can maybe tease out what ones are appropriate to use for different populations. And the people that shit can BMI are the people that just basically want to sit back and say, oh, it's because I've got too much muscle. I mean, it sounds good. But BMI in general is still a reference point, hence why it's called body mass index. Like it puts you on an index of like relative risk associated with all cause mortality. So things that cause disease over time that are related to how much weight you have on your body. Mm -hmm. So it's like systematic stress. And the reality is, is that doesn't necessarily mean matter, I should say, if it's muscle weight, fat weight, a combination of both. Mm. The reality is, is that weight on your body yeah. causes stress. Because somebody who has a lot of muscle mass, even if they're lean, can cause stress on like your heart, for example, because mm. it still has to work harder. Yeah, like, yeah. So like for a quick reference, if, if you have an individual that's hypermuscular that has a BMI, that's in the obese category. That Are you obese? I'm, I'm currently 31, which is just into the obese one category. And this is me at my lightweight at 95. Right. And you're probably, what would you guess your body fat percentage to be? Still in the teens. He still has abs. 10 at best. You think your body fat's 10? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, you said in the teens. So yeah. you think it's higher or lower? Oh, I was thinking like 13. Oh, no, no chance. No? I still have lines in my glutes. Okay. Um, my bad. <laughs> I, I would probably, like if I was to dex it, maybe like nine or something like that. Okay. Um, where was I going with this? Muscle weight, body. So the thing is, in, there's a couple of things you have to appreciate. Anyone that has a large amount of muscle has to train quite hard. That's in of itself going to be like driving blood pressure potentially. Anyone that has uh, to eat a ton amount of food to get larger, that's going to drive potentially some metabolic issues with like sugars. And then you also have just the general stress, like you said, on heart and, mm -hmm. and, and arteries and all the rest of it. So even though we may say the composition of the person is lower body fat, therefore potentially decreasing some of these risks for things like atherosclerosis or whatever it may be, the weight itself still does. Mm. So right tool for the right job, which is the whole point of this mm. podcast. But 
we know that having excess body fat is bad for our health. So somebody who scores, I am just in the overweight category, even though I'm relatively lean for a female. So uh, even though somebody may be scoring higher than what is deemed healthy on BMI, their uh, health risks might not be because body fat is too high, mm. right? So it might not be entirely appropriate for athletic populations. That's not to say that having excess weight isn't a problem. Um, I mean, it might not be in and of itself. It depends like how far this goes, obviously. Yeah, like do um, they also do aerobic training? What's their resting heart rate like? What's their blood pressure What's their like? nutrient quality like? All of these yeah. things also matter, but it's still a quick yeah. reference indicator of potential risk. Yeah, but just because Dean's obese according to BMI and I'm overweight according to BMI, that doesn't mean we're too fat. It probably, well, it just means that for our height, it would be healthier for us to be a little bit lighter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, put it this way, right? My, my current weight at 95 is 31 on the BMI scale. So the healthy scale for BMI is up to 25. 25 to 30 is considered slightly overweight. 35 to, 30 to 35 obese, 35 beyond. Uh, they used to say um, clinically obese, I think. Right. Um, or critically or something like that. But now they just say like um, extreme sometimes. Or like, like they use all different words. Yeah. Anyway. Um, when I was at my peak off season at 114 kilos, still what would be classified as respectable body fat from a health perspective, mm -hmm. I was 38 on the BMI. Oh my God. Yeah. So, but this is a good reference. Yeah. Google BMI calculator, guys. Just put in your height and your weight and then mm. it'll come up for you. But like healthy composition, muscle to fat ratio, significantly heavier. Yeah. Therefore, my BMI goes up. And although it's not saying that I'm obese or clinically obese, therefore it's a problem. But it is, as a reference to now, a good indicator that that's more stressful than what it is right now for me to be 95 kilos. Yeah. But you feel that. Like you're not as lethargic. It's easier to yeah. walk around. It changes within a couple of kilos for me yeah, in yeah. regards to how healthy I feel. For sure. Mm. And I think people might be shocked what overweight really is because I'm five foot, just shy of five foot one. I know I'm kind of short and I'm only 60 kilos, but because my height is low, my body weight should, according to BMI, should be less than that. It's just not because I have more muscle mass than general population females. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So put it in because it really doesn't, um, I think people look at really obese people who are in wheelchairs and can't move and go, that's a problem, but it can really become a problem way before that, way, yeah. way before that. It's, a, it's yeah. a quick reference guide to tell you whether or not you're increasing the risk for all-cause mortality. Mm. That's pretty much it in its simplest form. So that's its major pro. It's a quick reference point. Cons are it's not necessarily accurate at the composition and that we're not looking at lean tissue to fat mass. Uh, it also doesn't obviously account for other things. So, mm. But there are other ways to look at, you know, had to not so much measure your weight, but measure your composition. Because mm -hmm. BMI doesn't measure composition, does it? No. No. But there are other ways to measure composition, but they're not necessarily flawless. Can you give us an example of one of those? Like DEXA or something? DEXA's one. Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, so our primary modes of measurement that we'd look at as coaches would be uh, BMI is a, an initial relative risk. We could also just look at scale weight, but that's mainly we're going to be looking at scale weight as a trend for maybe the success and or failure of a weight loss or a weight, weight gain goal. You know, mm -hmm. everyone who kind of knows that's also not looking at composition. No. It's just looking at trends over time and it's subjected to a lot of uh, potential error. Yeah. Like the bathroom scales are still just measuring mass, like the body mass index. Yeah. And mass is just like everything that weighs something. Yeah. yeah. The next two that most people will probably go to will be either skin folds or um, DEXA. Mm. Um, skin folds are less. Oh, they're, they're actually, yeah, skin folds are, are more intrusive in regards to having to get them done because you actually have to somebody else pinch your fat 
Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which isn't that great. Well, can I just make, if, we, if you're about yeah. to move on from skin folds, yeah. just make a point there. We know that there's five different types of fat that we have on the body, right? And skin folds just pinches subcutaneous fat, which is like the fat just under the skin on the surface. The worst type of fat or the one that's most harmful to our health is something called visceral fat, which is fat in our midsection in and around our organs, not necessarily on the surface of the skin. And people who are quite overweight and carry a lot of visceral fat when they start losing weight, visceral fat is one of the first types of fat to go. So they might be using uh, calipers or body fat pinches and say, it's not really changing. I don't understand. I'm doing all of these things. It's obviously not working. I'm just going to give up. That's because this is the wrong sort of measurement mm. for, in this instance. Visceral fat is going. Health is improving. You know, um, mm-hmm. Organs don't have as much stress on them yeah. because of the visceral fat. But skin folds just don't show it. But there are applications for skin folds. Like you, you're uh, qualified by who for skin folds? Yeah, a company called Isaac, yeah. which is the International Society of Ready, don't mess this word up, Anthropometric. Okay. Anthropometric. I feel like that's less of a complicated word as other ones have you've used in this podcast and not stuff. Up. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I think it's the combination of the R's, O's and P's that I always okay. mess up. Um, uh, and then the, the K, I can't remember, like kinesiology or something like that. Kinesthetics, maybe that one. I'm not okay, sure. Okay, whatever. Um, Tell anyways, us about so, yeah, it. Qualified. Yeah. So it, the problem with skin folds is there's a large margin of error with the pinch in how the technique is done. Mm. So technically speaking, like anthropometry is the, the measurement of segment lengths and stuff like that. Things. So technically speaking, you're supposed to find these like key points on the body. like They're called sites. Sites, like mm. the top of the shoulder where your collarbone attaches to your shoulder uh, and then measure a certain distance from that. And then you should use a particular ruler to get to another distance. And then you'd mark an X and then you'd pinch it. Yeah. The point is you can't just pick up skin fold pinches and just like go. No, at it. you have it's, to standardize yeah. it because depending on the skin fold that you pinch, it can actually drastically change the millimeters of thickness between the calipers, which are just these like little pinchy machines um, by a magnitude that you can't account for. Yeah. In, think in of like out. really fancy kitchen tongs yeah. where you pinch people's fat. And then it gives you a measurement of how much is between each pinchy bit. Yeah, well, the pinchy bit. They're actually, (laughs) actually, if you want to get them done accurately, they're calibrated by a watchmaker. That's how sensitive they are. Oh, wow. So um, there's an industry here. Yeah, you can easily get it wrong. Massively wrong. So like, unless you're going to the detail of having your sites tattooed on you so that you can do the exact same site every time, uh, you're never going to get a fully accurate one. So then if you had a practitioner like myself, Technically, I have what was classified as like a standard deviation or error margin score. So that let's just say your skin folds went down by three millimeters, but I have an error margin of three millimeters. Then we can say from week to week, we can't classify that there was a result. Yeah. Um, but if my error margin was one miller and you went down three, three millimeters, and we can say, hey, you probably lost around about two mils. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're really only a good indication for how thick is the fat and skin and all the constituents between that. Fat. Yeah. Subcutaneously at that site specifically that you took. Mm. Just like the visceral comment, you can get to a point during a fat loss phase, and usually these are primarily used in uh, bodybuilders and those with like aesthetic goals, where you won't lose any fat under the pinch site. You'll Mm -hmm. lose it somewhere else, like the side of your knee or like maybe your cheek or wherever it may be. And you might not think you're losing weight or losing fat specifically. It's just not come off where you're pinching. It's just not come off where you're pinching. So um, the the other kind of a skin fold is that well, that's also one of the pros, just might add, if you are a bodybuilder, because you can say, hey, about three millimetres for a male is, is as thin as you'll get on most spots. Some of them only five millimetres. So if, you, if all of your spots are getting between three and five millimetres, you can say you're pretty lean, um, no matter where you pinch. 
Um, this is like according to bodybuilding standards. Bodybuilding standards. I hope that people who aren't bodybuilders are going, oh, well, I'm way bigger than five. Yes, it's because you're not about to die from starvation. Yeah, you 100% should. That's be. a good thing. You should be above that. Yeah, you're yeah. 100%. I wouldn't use skin folds for general population because I think it's too intrusive for one. The margin of error is massive. Um, and it's likely that it's just going to be done incorrectly a lot of the time. Mm. It might also be, what's what I'm looking for, like discouraging for general population because a person who's getting on a bodybuilding stage, they're probably, you know, le weeks leading up to stage day are losing massive amounts of body fat, whereas a general population person wouldn't be expected to lose body fat at such a quick rate mm. um, because it needs to be more sustainable. They're not willing to sacrifice freaking everything, including their health, just to be really lean. And so just seeing small changes might be discouraging. Yeah, the other thing too is the less accurate the fatter you are. Mm. Um, because the caliper has to get further and further apart. It can't get like a perpendicular pinch. It's hard for you to pinch the individual. Like they're really only suitable for people that are going for extreme composition goals as mm. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, the pro is that it's cheap. The con is that it's inconvenient potentially and it is intrusive. Um, and also the body fat percentages that you get from the calculators when you plug in your per site millimeter thickness are completely irrelevant. They are done on general population scores so you can kind of get an average, but... Hmm. They they vary largely. I wouldn't take any um, stock in the percentage of body fat that it gives you. Yeah, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. yeah, like it's interesting, but meh. So we're not saying that BMI is absolutely useless. It's just there's a time and place. We're not saying that pinches are absolutely useless. There's a time and place. Um, I mentioned before that somebody who carries a lot of visceral fat, the fat in and around their organs, uh, probably don't want to do pinches because it's not going to show the change of mm -hmm. visceral fat. But a mode of measurement that might be useful for them is circumference measurement. So you just get a loose measuring tape and measure around the navel or the waist. Again, most important thing here is to standardize. So yeah, like, yeah, it needs to be. Make sure it's always the same spot. Yeah, not just the same spot. I, I like the belly button because that doesn't really change, does it? Um, but also the same tightness. Like if you're doing it really tightly and you're sort of like spilling over the thing, mm -hmm. that's not so useful. So you want it to be firm, but not so tight that that fat is going over the top. Firm without muffin. Firm without muffin. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And people might also like doing this for biceps, for example. You might, and that's not necessarily about fat loss or gain. You might want to do circumference measurements to look at rates of hypertrophy. It takes a really long time to build a centimeter of bicep, doesn't mm. it? So this is more like you want to be doing these over big periods of time, whereas fat coming from the midsection might happen much faster than yeah. biceps can be built. Um, but we could also do soft and flexed measurements for the bicep. So what is your bicep when your arm is just out straight or actually flexed? Because I'm super immature, I like to call this uh, flexed and flaccid. Mm. Mm. I like flexed and flaccid. Yeah, thank you. Um, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> what about flex successes? Flaccid. Flexed and flaccid foundational composition. <laughs> Like, anyway, we're um, going to trademark this so the, the cool thing is the bmi we've talked about before is like quick indicator mm. completely relevant to composition yeah uh skin folds and circumferences time and a place but the cool thing about both of them if they're implemented correctly is that in the absence of weight loss we can still reference circumference size mm. and pinch thickness as a potential indicator for composition change. Yeah. So we may have gotten a larger arm in the absence of weight loss or even a larger arm in the, in the presence of weight loss, like massive tick there. Or you know? a large arm without circumference of like the navel going up. Yeah. Or yeah. 
amazing. Even weight hasn't changed, but navel's gone down. Yeah. Well, we haven't really spoken about body weight on the scales yet, but yeah. you know, that one's pretty intuitive. Yeah, we kind of mm. reference it before. It's just an indication of weight on the scale. It's like a measurement of gravity, like the effect of gravity on the scale. That's all it is. Yeah. I think one thing that everyone's interested in is DEXA. Maybe you can talk us through that. Yeah. So I'm not even going to, no, what is it? I'm not even going to try and say what DEXA stands for. Dual absorbatory, I don't see it now. I'm just kind of made myself like, well, anyway, <laughs> DEXA. Gold standard is how it's referred to as a composition uh, modality. It's really the gold standard for measuring your bone mineral density and your relative risk then for things like osteoporosis and stuff like that age. That's why it was uh, originally uh, utilized for, what it was originally utilized for. Um, it's accurate for telling you total fat mass in grams on your body, as well as potentially differentiating between total fat mass and visceral fat mass. Mm -hmm. So there's some big ticks. Yeah, um, helpful. But when it's compared to, like in, in a study, if it's compared to like a skin fold, a, another one we're going to talk about before, which is bioelectrical impedance, um, under, underwater weighing and a few other modes, it typically doesn't stack up very well for measuring lean body mass and or uh, muscle tissue mass because those are both highly sensitive to hydration status, how much food you've got in your stomach, glycogen. how much glycogen you have inside your muscle tissue or stored carbohydrates. Uh, those, those three things make a massive difference to what your body fat percentage comes in at. Mm. Um, but it is a very good indicator for total fat mass. So you can use DEXA as an opportunity to look at total fat mass change over, over time. Mm. Maybe I'll give an example on how this can be manipulated. Oh, we haven't really said what it is, right? You okay. lay down on a big machine uh, and the machine scans you. You have to, you have to lay there. X-rays your whole body. You have to lay there like nice and flat. It x-rays your whole body and then gives you a composition spit out. Uh, for anyone that hasn't done it, just as a word of warning, if you're uncertain about how you look as a human that's laid down on, the, on a bench and looks a bit squashed, it's like you're being um, photocopied. Yeah. yeah. People will either be really happy about how big it makes their calves look <laughs> or how, how disappointed or how fat it makes their butt look. It, go, it can go one or two ways. I love it. Yeah. When I did my last DEXA scan, I remember looking at it and um, I saw like this, I don't have a muffin top or like, but I just remember seeing almost like a bump of fat around my skin. Yeah. I was like, what is, what? <laughs> Yeah, this thing, depending on the DEXA too, some of them will be black and white and yeah. like the whiter stuff will be fat mass. Yeah. Uh, some of them will actually have color. Yeah. So like Mine red for colored. muscle and then it'll have bits of like yellow, um, yellow fat. for fat. Uh, there's sometimes blue on there depending on like types of fat and, and whatnot. So I think my implants came up as blue. Yeah, it's going to say implants will come yeah. up as a different color. So yeah, if you're trying to hide implants from a partner somehow, <laughs> I don't know. And they um, have access to your DEXA scan. Yeah, yeah. you're in trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so... So it's a big x-ray of your body. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to give an example on how to manipulate it. Mm -hmm. Let's say a client was wanted to do DEXA scans and they were doing them a month apart, which in my opinion is too close of a time frame to do them. Uh, we would like, okay, go ahead, go and do your DEXA scan just as you are eating whatever you were eating before a diet. Okay. They go in, they're averagely hydrated. They're full of carbohydrates, which people typically are before a diet. Mm -hmm. They go and do it and they get their results. Then they go on a diet for one month, their carbs get cut in half. Um, maybe for whatever reason, they were dehydrated the day that they go. They might've lost a bunch of fat and more or less maintained their muscle mass. But because we know um, our, we, we store carbohydrates in our skeletal muscle as what is called glycogen, that gets depleted as, because we use approximately the same amount of glycogen mm -hmm as like through general movement in the day and through our exercise and that doesn't change. But what does change is how much carbohydrates we eat. 
So our glycogen stores are going down because we're using about the same, but they're not being filled back up because we're not eating about the same. Okay. It's like a bucket with a hole in the bottom. It's still coming out at the same rate, but we're just not filling it up at the same rate. And our, because uh, our muscle glycogen stores are lower, our muscle volume is measured as lower in the DEXA scan. Yeah. 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 So you get this incorrect or disproportionate representation of you've lost a kilo of fat mass, but you're three kilos lighter on the scale. Therefore, you've lost two kilos of lean tissue is what the machine mm. would say. Yeah. When in actual fact, yes, you've lost lean tissue, but remember that lean tissue is everything outside of fat mass. Yeah, including glycogen. And glycogen stores can be filled and depleted in a few days. Yeah. Even the burger yeah. in your belly. Yeah. You know, like if you go and, put, in, you go and put that in, that's going to change it too. And yeah. then you can do this uh, in reverse. You could go and load up on food the moment you get on there, load, load up on fluids, get your body weight up so it's escalated. Fat mass will have come down and then it'll give off the, the, the illusion that you've gained a bunch of muscle tissue. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, you can, again, to use this word, standardize this approach so that you're always somewhat similarly fed, similarly hydrated each time. Um, I don't think DEXs are very good for looking at like change of body composition in, in like one phase. Yeah. So like a fat loss phase. I think they're probably pretty good for comparing point to point year after year. Mm, okay. uh, and again, we'd be saying, what are we using this for? Risk of, of uh, comorbidities because of visceral fat, total body weight, um, total body fat. And progress over long, long periods progress of time. Progress over long periods of time. Yeah. So if you're to do DEXA scans, which we're not saying you shouldn't, we're just saying that they're not flawless like mm. any system, we want to compare apples with apples. So if you're going in glycogen depleted, the next time you do it, you should also be glycogen depleted. But we would probably argue the other way around. You probably want to be like maybe not entirely saturated, but, yeah. you know, 400 grams of carbs the week leading up, every day, the week leading up to it. Then the next time you get scanned. Some of the bikini competitors got super excited at 400 grams of carbs. You may have just told them more than they've ever eaten before in their life. <laughs> Whatever a lot of carbs is for you. You should theoretically, like technically speaking, you should probably, if you want to say like the most accurate measurement data, go on. maybe back at calorie magnets for two weeks. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, to be glycogen saturated, it takes like three to five days for most people to eat at like nearly 10 times their body weight in carbs. And that's going to come at a cost to your composition. So yeah. maybe we're not going to do that. So instead, back to maintenance for one to two weeks. Yep. Normally hydrated. Uh, taken fasted first thing in the morning is probably the easiest. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's going to be like a reasonably good reference point. But in saying that too, I'd still just be looking at total fat mass if it was me. Mm. You know, And we can maybe even build a profile here. Like maybe the person's doing circumferences. Maybe they've done a DEXA every three to six months. We can look at total fat mass and say, hey, fat mass is down, weight is the same. This is tick, tick, tick. So this is what we do with our clients. And we don't necessarily do DEXs with our clients, but we do multiple modes of measurement because just taking one doesn't really give us the complete picture. It's like a single puzzle piece. Mm. We need to get three, four, maybe more and put them together and go, hey, look, like weight has gone down, but bicep circumferences are up. And look at your training program. Your strength is up and mm. that uh suggests that the following things are happening so sort of like everything put together can show us the puzzle yeah. not an individual piece and that's how they do these composition research pieces as well they call them mm -hmm. compartment models so like a four compartment model might be they might look at fat mass on a dexa a skin pinch uh on from anthropometrical stuff from the thing then biological impedance they might use as a reference for hydration because that's another one so uh so just quickly pros of dexa tells you some specific fat uh information it's pretty easy to do, non-intrusive. 
Uh, Kong would be, there's very few of them around. It can well, get expensive too. It's expensive. It can be like 80 bucks a pop. Yeah. And it's also mm. not necessarily telling you anything interesting outside of fat mass. Yeah. And also, I don't think everybody really needs to worry too much about what their exact like muscle to fat no. ratio is. And so long as we're in healthy weight ranges um, or at least healthy amounts of body fat, because Dean and I are both yeah. outside of healthy weight ranges, even though we're lean. Um, and you feel good about yourself because yeah, you that, that definitely matters. Good behaviors. As you say, exactly. It's the behaviors that are largely going to dictate the composition anyway. So yeah, you know, they're the things to focus on. Find ways to enjoy good nutrition and movement. And does it really matter what the numbers say? If hmm. You're generally healthy and, and like yourself. I don't think so, Dean. I would hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um, now there is one more, I believe, to talk about very quickly. Most people would be familiar with the scales called Tanita. Oh yeah, Tanita scales. Or is it Tanita? No, it's definitely Tanita scales. Or is it Tinita? No. Okay, uh, there's three options. You never know, depending on where you come from. <laughs> no, it's not. You know. no, that's like people saying a potato, potato. Who the fuck okay, says potato? How do you pronounce the yogurt out of England that is from Sweden? Yeah, yogurt. Called F A G E. Oh, apparently it's pronounced. Fahe, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. We only know that because on the actual packet of the yogurt, it gives you the pronunciation. Don't you know that's when the words fucked up? Like <laughs> when, when they, they have, have to tell you, how they to have pronounce. to give you the phonetics for it. You know, we're still going. With I thought it was. I thought it was fage. Yeah, well, we were saying fage for ages. Fadgy. <laughs> it's not fadgy. Okay. Yeah. Fahe. Dean, would you anyway. like some fadgy on top of you? So, back to the tonight scales. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so these use a. Uh, I was going to say a technique that's not right. What is it? Like a method? Method, yeah, of, of uh, basically shooting an electric stimulus through your system. So if you're going to stand on it with your feet. It's going it to go, looks like a bathroom scale. looks like a bathroom scale. It's going to yeah. go up one leg, up one leg, around the other side, and then down the other leg. Um, it's going to measure the speed in which it took to do that. And then by doing so, it can deduce some things it suggests. Because that thingamabob travels faster through some tissues than others. Yes. So it can tell how much fat you have according to the scales. Yes. <laughs> so it's going to take your total weight on the scale. It's going to reference this time. It's going to calculate some shit. It's going to say, hey, you are carrying this amount of body fat, this, this amount of uh, muscle mass, and this amount of bone mass. Mm-hmm. And they're all going to be based on the averages that are seen in the research of what a human should look like theoretically. Um, if we were to take like a... Which is problematic in and of itself, yeah, isn't it? Because there's so many ranges. If of, we were to take a template and say, this is where the majority of people sit. Yeah, the, like if we average out the average human, hmm. they have one testicle and one tit. Like <laughs> it just doesn't really... Yeah. So anyways, we can see the problems there with averages. But yeah. That's all right. Go on. Um, and yeah, so, so it was originally one of the uh, implementations of this was actually to look at hydration status because electricity goes fast through water and slow through other tissues. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're, for example, like hyperhydrated and that uh, electrode shoots that stimulus through very quickly, it'll typically say that you've got lower body fat. Um, if you're underhydrated or dehydrated, it's typically gonna come back at a higher body fat. Mm. So this one I would say is like highly subjective to, to margin of error in regards to body fat percentages. Therefore, it's also highly subjected to margin of error for lean tissue because it's, it's using weight and the speed of that to determine body fat. Then the speed of the current, yeah. yeah. Um, current. That's the word I've been looking for this entire time. You're welcome. Um, anyway, so it's it's great like for that. Uh, they're expensive weight scales that don't really give you anything that's actually that 
repeatable. That's the biggest problem with this one is it's not Because repeatable. hydration levels change. Yeah, and like we're talking by the hour. So, mm. you know, like you could go and pee and get back on it an hour later as the same because we're just measuring how much weight you disperse onto the scale. That's also including, like I mentioned before, glycogen status, food status, hydration status. You can get huge swings. Yeah, yeah. yeah huge swings in the scores on these. So they're actually good for measuring hydration status. They're terrible for everything else. Mm. And that includes the really expensive ones that people use at gyms as a part of like, um, like fucking 12-week challenges. Who oh, am I kidding? Actually... No one does 12 weeks, six-week challenges. <laughs> um, when you even hold the electrodes in your hands too. Mm. Are they getting more and more and more accurate, somewhat more predictable and repeatable? Yes. Are they still shit in comparison to other ones? Yes. Mm. They, that's actually a really common mode of measurement in these like short gym challenges. Mm. And Should we just tell people how to cheat them so they make more money off the gym? <laughs> yeah, because they can win the challenges and win money. Yeah. Go on. Basically, what you want to do is you want to eat a shit ton of food in the days prior. So you're like quite so you're heavy, as heavy as possible. Not necessarily to gain fat, but just like yeah. glycogen and stomach yeah. volume and hydration. Then you want to basically. Oh, no, just, wait, you want to be underhydrated. Huh? Yeah. And you want to dehydrate the fuck out of yourself yeah. as well. So just this the is day hard before. because dehydration is going to require some uh, weight loss. Mm. But basically, if you dehydrate the day before so that you wake up really dehydrated the morning of, and then you eat all of the food so you get more and more weight into your body as you possibly can. You want to come back with like a fairly decent uh, body fat percentage. Yeah, I think like potatoes and pumpkins and stuff would be a good one to load up on because the calories are low, but the weight of the food is high. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think like starches, beans, yeah, anything chickpeas. Beans would be amazing. Actually. Yeah, beans would be the fibrous good materials would be better than the watered materials like yeah. potato. Yeah, that's true. And then you just want to essentially somewhat invert this when you get to the weigh-in. Mm. You know, you want you also want to be heavy though, but you want to be hyperhydrated. Mm-hmm. because if you're heavy just on the scale, it's going to assume that it's lean muscle mass, mm-hmm. right? Um, the main thing in the last one is to be dehydrated. You could actually not even play the weight game so that it looks like you've just gained muscle and lost fat exclusively. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, so dehydrated the day of, and then hyperhydrated really... the day of. Uh, yeah, so dehydrated and weigh-in number one, and yeah. the final weigh-in, you want to be hyperhydrated. Hyperhydrated and also like heavy on the scale again mm. because you want it to be appearing like it's muscle mass. Yeah, yeah, like it's a composition change. Mm. You're welcome, guys. We'll take 50% of uh, your earnings mm. from coming first. No, don't really do that. Um, we probably recommend that you don't actually engage in short gym challenges at all. Anyways, some of them... Give yourself a clap, please. <laughs> no, you, you, guys. Oh, oh, sorry. Guys. I didn't need to actually clap. Let me get my sound Just say that out. again. They say it again. You know? We probably recommend that you don't engage in gym challenges Funny at you all. Say that, Liz. good is my soundboard (laughs) some of them are worse than others and more bad than others there are some that are kind of passable but those ones wouldn't necessarily give a uh some sort of award like a money prize at the end for the person that lost the most amount of weight for example because it's you know the ones that are actually good are about setting up sustainable habits whereas how these gym challengers make their money is by crash dieting people and they feel like this is awesome they've made all these results but it's not sustainable and people put the weight back on which is great for the gym because they get to get their money again for the next challenge Mm. in a couple of or a few months time and the cycle repeats itself and every time that people lose weight then gain it back then lose weight and gain it back they're losing some muscle as they lose weight and they typically only gain fat back and so at the end of the day, their composition is just getting worse and worse yep. and worse. And then if we now reference even now, we talk about composition today too. 
and you have a female who then loses her cycle every time she loses it, it becomes harder and harder and harder and harder and more difficult to get that back to mm-hmm. which if you were to use a dexa over time would probably show you that your bone mineral density is going down yep. that's one of the 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 symptoms. cons of or symptoms of, of losing your menstrual cycle and uh that ain't good man that's that's early stage osteoporosis oh man like talk about setting someone up for losing their independence in their old age like less muscle mass which mm. we know elderly people really struggle with anyways to get themselves up and down but yeah. bone density is a huge one too you know you don't want to fall down and break a hip and you don't want to be that i don't want to be that person that's my worst nightmare you know that ding yeah you know what i say to that I love this soundboard. I agree. This is great. Um, one more, but I'm not even going to talk about it just very briefly. It's hydrostatic underwater weighing. We mentioned it before. It's an athletic population uh, body composition modality. You dunk people underwater, you, they measure the displacement of that water, determine the body fat. Super accurate. Um, no one can do it because there's only a few of them that exist. There's like two in Australia or something. I think they're like really well-resourced unis and they're like the really AIS, expensive. The AIS had one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. It's just not worth talking about because it's so impractical. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're the modes of measurement. Mm. Um, I think we've kind of, uh, instead of wrapping, well, we could wrap it up again. I think we've kind of touched on who would benefit from each mode, maybe why you choose one or the other. Um, we've kind of done that throughout, right? I think so. Yeah. But you can always reach out to us on Instagram, flex underscore success, if yeah. you have any questions. The point is, is don't put too much stock in their measurements all the time because there's likely going to be some mar- uh, margin for error. Uh, there's likely a lot of other confounding variables to, to consider. Hopefully, if you're getting these measurements, you're getting them alongside the advice of a coach, mm. and that coach can talk you through the pros and cons of these as well, mm. because they're, they're definitely not the be-all and end-all. Mm, for sure. Uh, we like to wrap up every episode with a tip on how to be less shit, because the tagline of this podcast is how to be less shit. I would say, just to give it a little summary, our be less shit tip is if you're going to measure your progress, use at least two, mm. probably three or four modes of measurement and see how that trends over time, not day to day or week to week, because that's going to tell you sweet fuck all, months, maybe even years. Yeah. 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 Use them for what they are designed yeah. to be best for. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right. So we're going to move on to something we're sharing. And we don't have a guest to share anything with us today. It's just me and you. Mm. And I think we're opting for your book today, right? I think so. So what I wanted to share with you guys is uh, Dean, when he was away in Portugal for five days, I had some more time on my hands because my friend was gone. Missed you, Dean. Oh, you need that on there. Oh. <laughs> oh, I don't have one of those. Do no, I? No, it's probably not. It's too late. Liz, if you're going to use a soundboard, it has to happen, you know, naturally. I stuffed it up. <laughs> That I did that sound for me because right. I stuffed it up. Gotcha. Yeah. Look, gotcha. I'm going to get better at the soundboard over time. So anyways, I was saying, missed my mate. He was gone. Actually quite enjoyed being alone sometimes too. Though. Yeah. It was good. You know so, what? What? Like my alone time. You like your alone time? Yeah. I like my alone time. It's good. Uh, so how I chose to fill my time is I bought a new book. I have a Kindle and I listen to audiobooks, but because we travel full time, it's really difficult for me to have like paperback books, which I really enjoy reading. And in the middle of Croatia, it's really hard to find books in English. So I found this one bookstore and I only had a few options to choose from like the books in English that were small enough that I could get through uh, before we leave for Turkey. And the book that I chose was uh, The Communism, The Communist Manifesto. Why did I choose The Communist Manifesto? I chose it because, look, there wasn't a lot to choose from anyways, but also I don't... uh, 
agree with communism in practice, like maybe in part in theory, I think like it's, it's a nice thought, but it just never works out in practice. And I wanted to read something that I didn't really agree with. I wanted to read something that challenged my web of beliefs. And I wanted to challenge myself to stay open and curious in the face of something that I thought was really harmful because I think it's really important that we listen to the other side of the story. We look at the flip side of the coin. Not only does it give us, I guess, a more well-rounded view, we can also understand the other side and see like, oh, I didn't think of it like that. Maybe it's not so black and white. Maybe there's some gray, maybe there's some room for improvement on my side and on Mm -hmm. their side as well. Mm -hmm. So my something worth sharing is listen to shit you don't agree with. You know, like you don't necessarily need, if you know, if we know the harms of clean eating, for example, you don't need to go and spend hours and hours listening to these things trying to be converted, but listen to like where they might be coming from, because we know that clean eaters typically have um, really high amounts of vitamin and mineral intake, better than some flexible diet as you just fill their macros with crap. Mm. And we know that the best way that we, we can actually manage our nutrition is to manage our calories and macros, but also fill them with mostly good quality food. So in practice, it might look more like clean eating, but we understand the principles of body weight management and composition Mm. change. Yeah, hopefully even this episode's challenged a few people on the BMI. Perhaps. Quite possible. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think that's a good one. I think the worst thing you can do is just stick to driving down the same lane of the highway all the time and never venturing off. Yeah, for sure. There's some cool shit out there. There is some cool shit out there. There is. Mm. And for anyone traveling to Croatia, go to Plitvik Lakes over, oh. over Kirka. Oh, my God. Um, if anyone's been to Kirka and thought it was amazing, go to Plitvik Lakes and then report back. I think that's like someone trying really shitty chocolate for the first time and going, oh, this chocolate's amazing. Yeah. It's like, bro, you need to try a Ferrero. Or actually. instant coffee versus not. <laughs> I'm guilty. Know. I like instant yeah. coffee. Yeah, no, Plitvik Lakes, way better. Is that your something worth sharing? Go to Plitvik. It is now, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Love it. Now, we always finish on a would you rather. I don't know if I, I'll but have normally, to think of one off the top of my head. Before we do a would you rather. What? We've been bringing in the concept of the hot topics. Right. So if you listened to the or two episodes ago, Holly Davidge, because the last episode was a replay. Yeah. Yeah. We're asking our guests something controversial, a hot topic in the fitness industry. Yeah. And I was telling her that I really wanted a soundboard and that I wanted to have a song to intro this with. And I was going for a walk with Dean recently and I was like, oh, what, what jingle could I use? And I was like, you know what? The hot potato song? How does it mm. go? Well, hot, I'm not going to sing it. Hot potato, going, hot potato. Yeah, that one. Yeah. So this is Hot Topics. I have recorded a song for you guys to intro this segment. Yeah. Are press, you ready? Press forward 15 if you're not interested. You know, you, you all have to be interested. Yeah. All right. It goes like this. You are welcome. <laughs> Wasn't that incredible? Drum roll. No. <laughs> That's too applause. late. Oh, I should have drum rolled first. No. Damn it. <laughs> so hot topics. See what I did there? Potato is a three-syllable word, but topic is a two-syllable word. So how do I get hot topic into hot potato? Hot to topic, hot to topic. I'm being a musical genius. Hot to topic. I know, I am. I would like you guys to sing along in the next episode when we hear the hot to topic 
music. Well, even in light of the um, communist book and, and going off track, we challenge any musician here to be okay with three syllable words being made out of two syllable words. Yeah, why that, not? It, there, there are no you, rules if here. If you disagree, maybe that's your problem. That is your problem. Hot to topic, hot so, to topic. What's hot, the hot topic? Well, in light of uh, the show that I went to in Portugal, which had a pro show, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen this sort of get around the traps a little bit, I thought it would be interesting to take, get your take or opinion on whether or not you think, or what's just your general opinion on bodybuilders using sight enhancement practices? Mm-hmm to enhance their look Mm. so we know that there's performance enhancing drugs being used but Mm -hmm. we could argue that they have to train to grow that tissue yeah they don't just it's just escalating the speed in which and the and the the type of capacity capacity. yeah okay whereas a sight enhancement is exactly as it sounds it's an ingredient of some sorts that you inject into a muscle in order to enhance the look of that muscle specifically so like synthol so, yeah, the originals would be like synthol, which is like an oil-based thing that just sits inside the tissue. Just and like someone sort of, just injects their muscle and it blows up like a kind of like a balloon. Not but with like, synthol, no. It kind of adds synthol. more mass inside the muscle to make it larger and they can increase the amount of oil that it's held in there over time. Mm-hmm. But it can go wrong. Doesn't it dissipate? No. It doesn't a, dissipate. problem with synthol is it doesn't do that, no. It really? will break down over time, but not to the level it should Okay. Um, and it also won't disperse through tissue as well. Why don't girls use synthol for their lips then instead of... Um... Because it would just be dead weight and it's also not... But isn't that what they want? Technically, no. It's not It's not a natural look. It's, it's hard to do in the lips, I would imagine. <laughs> I'm not sure if many girls are going for the natural look. When it All right. So... <laughs> yeah. Okay, synthol. Synthol. There's other ones that are main, mainly inflammatory based for short mm. periods. We'll disregard those. And then there's newer ones that are like um, hyaluronic acid based, so like Metaform is one, which is a naturally occurring uh, organic acid in the body. The body makes it already. Oh, um, if it's organic. It's yeah, the body makes it already. It does naturally disperse through tissue. Okay. It's not held as like dead oil, but rather it pulls fluid into already existing tissues. Okay. So you can think of it as like a hyperhydrating agent. Okay. Um, and that is what girls put in their lips. Right. That is what lip filler has in it. Right. Okay. Just to a much smaller. Would you percentage. consider like muscle implants sight enhancement? Yes, but a different version. In okay. that you're literally adding. But you're asking me how I feel about sight enhancement in competitive bodybuilders. Yeah. So could we include? Uh... I think we should differentiate between the two. Okay. God, this is such a difficult one because, like, where do you draw the line? Because I, I I'm sure that many of the listeners don't agree with this, but that's all right. It's my opinion, guys. I think that cheating in sports when it comes to performance enhancing drugs is fucking wrong and no one should do it. Um, but when it comes to powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding, there's some federations that test and say The that, Olympics. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Maybe that's not the Olympics. Yeah, no. That's just for Russia. Yeah. They have a different set of rules. Oh, no. um, yeah, when, when there's some federations that say we don't test our athletes, it's sort of like, well, if everyone's on drugs, then it's an even playing field. And if you are a natural athlete, you can compete in these other federations with people that are natural or not mm. enhanced with performance enhancing drugs. So uh, it's difficult so because... In, in I, light I'm, of that, let me say that these mm. things aren't technically illegal to use, mm. but if they become apparent to the point where it's noticeable, you can be marked down for them. Okay. Yeah, well, that's a slippery slope too, isn't but it? But it's the same with injecting steroids. If you have lumps from those, you're going to get marked down, but they know that they're used. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what, what I'm, my point that I'm making here is I'm not against performance-enhancing drugs for athletes that compete in federations that 
say it's not allowed, Mm -hmm. you know, because then it's more of an even playing field. But I may lump performance enhancing drugs in there with sight enhancement, just like um, not synthol, yeah, synthol mm. or what was the other one? Metaform. Then? Or metaform. Um, so why would I be okay with one and not others? Because I do feel more uneasy with metaform and synthol. Because I guess at least with steroids, people still have to work for the muscle. They're just getting more bang for their buck. Mm. But when you're just injecting something into a muscle, it just it almost just feels like you don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. So I just, that's not to say that it should be banned. I'm just saying I feel uneasy about it and how I feel and what should happen and two entirely different things. Okay. So if we were to draw some, uh, pull on some strings, as they oh, say. Oh, but sorry. I think that um, implants should not be allowed and you should be disqualified from competing if you have muscle implants. Muscular implants, not breast implants. Well, no, because you wouldn't consider breast implants a muscle that you have worked hard for. That Nor do you get marked on your breasts. Well, you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. You do get marked on your overall package, and some people may consider big boobs as adding to the package, mm-hmm. so maybe indirectly. Not that that should happen, but anyways. All right, so mm-hmm. let's pull on some threads. So synthol, we could say, could create the illusion of a muscle that doesn't exist in that it's a small muscle. You could make it larger just by make slowly but surely and- filling it up. Mm. something like a metaform will only enhance already existing muscle because it's talking about pulling fluid into already existing tissue. Yeah, but it's Would you differentiate the two? Not really. I don't think so. I don't think I would. And are you saying you're morally against it for competing or you're not sure if they should be legal? I'm saying that I, I don't think I've had enough time to think about what I think the morality of it is. I'm saying I feel uneasy about them. But that, like, I feel uneasy about some guy having sex with a chicken carcass, but that doesn't mean he's hurting anyone and that it's morally wrong. It just makes me feel gross, mm. you know? And feeling wrong about something doesn't mean that it is wrong. Should it be allowed, though? Oh, fuck. Um, well, it is, isn't it? Yes. Mm. I think that it would be in vain to try and tell people they can't use it because I don't think you can prove that they are. It definitely should not be allowed in natural federations, but if we're going to allow performance enhancing drugs, then I guess, I guess, even though I feel gross about saying it, we, it should be allowed, but not muscular implants. Okay. Let me add even more than to this. Okay. If you have a natural athlete that is depleted because of the the dieting that they've been going through, Uh I get to peak week the last week before competition. This is when they typically will do things to try and refill the muscle with volume that is losing via carbohydrates, creatine, sodium, and the like. What would be the difference? Well, because it's still a natural process. They're in, they're just enhancing the muscle that they currently have with the tools that everybody has. Not everybody has the tools or the resources to get synthol and um... no, let's take synthol out. Synthol, I think, is a little bit different to say the hyperhydrative concept. Okay. Because synthol, you literally could say you have a very small bicep. Let's make it gradually larger over time. And you see these guys with synthol arms. We're not saying they look good. Yeah, yeah. You can do they it, look like right? jelly balls. You could never do yeah. that with, with something like um, the hyaluronic acid agents. What's so the one starting with M again? Metaphor. I that's always the forget hyaluronic, the name. Hyaluronic yeah. acid. Metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's an already existing compound, just like creatine is, what's the difference if it goes in orally versus injectable? Yeah. 
Look, I'm, I'm saying that it should be allowed based off like this logical conversation. I, I'm just saying that I feel like it's unfair because I imagine that um, Metaform is expensive and maybe not everybody has access to Metaform like they do creatine and carbohydrates. Mm. Even in natural federations? No, in natural federations. Oh. I'm asking what's the difference though? This is the beauty of a top topic is that if an individual can use creatine, which is an organic compound, yeah. they take it orally to hyperhydrate a muscle tissue to make it look larger versus injectable, what's the difference? Yeah, because you're saying- I'm not saying it's good, bad, or Yeah, you're just again. asking the asking question. question. Because just to make sure I'm clear on what you're saying, creatine is naturally occurring. Like we get it from food. You don't necessarily have to supplement from mm -hmm. it, but so is the stuff- in Hyaluronic acid, your body makes it. Yeah. Mm. Like, I don't want to say the difference is the method of um, what's delivery. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. The method of delivery. Cause one comes out of a needle and one comes out of food. Cause should that matter? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, medication, it doesn't matter if anything injectable could arguably. Yeah. Because be it stressful. doesn't pass through some organs. Yeah. Um, mm. Look, I, I'm still saying, I don't think that metaform should be allowed in natural federations. I'm not sure if I can, logically justify this off the top of my head but i think that i could with some time put together a justification mm. what do you think uh i'm uneasy about the natural federation one because although you could pull on the thread like how big is that piece of string like yeah. is using caffeine for performance enhancement and appetite is control? protein yeah. powder like, natural what's yeah. the difference between that like mm. um there's all of these things we're like uh, should we not allow natural bodybuilders to eat with chopsticks when they're hungry because you know should natural competitors not smoke cigarettes because yeah. it's an appetite suppressant yeah. so like the list goes on uh i have for, i think for the purpose of aesthetic gain in a let's just call it a sport no an endeavor that is marked on aesthetics the route of delivery or the route of delivery does matter and that injecting something into a tissue to make it larger is by no means, I think, at any case, kind of natural. Um, well, neither is protein powder. Well, no, but it's natural for a human to eat. Well, you know, well, no um, one's picking protein powder off a tree. But I will caveat it just quickly and say it's arguably potentially healthier for female competitors looking to enhance certain body parts beyond their capacity, <laughs> like their butts, mm. without going down the implant route mm. and also without having to take any male hormones. Mm. So we could argue that maybe like something like an injectable hyperhydrative agent like that is arguably healthier, not healthy, but healthier. Yeah, than the invasive process mm. of implants or... Um, yeah, or taking drugs and changing their physiology from the inside out. Yeah. But anyway, I... um. I've, I was pretty much like you when I got asked that question first. I got asked that question first by Joe. There's so much to think about, isn't there? I'm like, I just don't feel right, but I couldn't really put my finger on why. Yeah. Uh, I think because it's kind of new. It was mm. a new thought for me. I remember not feeling right about um, people using MDMA and smoking marijuana and all these sorts of things too as a young person. And, and, that, was, <laughs> and that was because I also was stuck in my lane, like we are talking about before. Yeah. You know, and I became exposed to more opinions. I appreciated those opinions. I could weigh up my pros and cons and determine whether or not I thought that was a smart or not so smart thing to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Here we are. I now have, I think, some uh, different opinions for it. Yeah, well, you've had some experiences since then and, and dabbled a bit. Mm, yeah. In, um, real, I think the smartest people around us are open-minded to various drugs like MD and mushrooms and stuff like that. Which... Yeah, I think an inquisitive mind mm. is what you require for that stuff to uh, potentially become a viable consideration for you for sure and uh so i mean open book here don't think my parents listen to the podcast don't really care you can't ground me i'm 32 um i started partying when i was really young and i dabbled i dabbled 
And Dean was a child athlete, definitely didn't. And uh, now I, I think that there's two different ways to take drugs. You can do it constructively or uh, destructively. And maybe there was a time where I was kind of destructive with it. And I was, you know, trying to drown out some yuckiness. But there are ways that you can just use it to be more open-minded or connect with people and, and not abuse it. Mm. So like anything, right, we can use caffeine occasionally to help us stay alert as a great pre-workout or you can abuse it and rely on it and it yeah. becomes destructive. So, yeah. Can we give a uh, public service announcement Go on. on party drugs but to stand this? What's that? Don't start relationships oh my God. on MDMA. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll leave that one there. <laughs> I've just seen it happen too many times and they crash a burn eventually. So for those that don't have any experience with MDMA, um, its origins is in relationship counselling. So couples who are having trouble emphasize, uh, emphasizing, uh, being empathetic, hmm. empathising with each other and connecting and understanding the other person's point of view, they would take this drug uh, in a room with a professional and they would talk to each other and they would connect and they would understand each other on a deeper level. And, you know, just like cocaine, people started using it for recreational purposes because it felt good. And often people begin relationships when they're high on MDMA and feel like they love each other and they're so connected, but mm. it's the drugs, guys. And they are, but it's just, It's yeah, the drugs. It's it, doesn't, it doesn't last forever, right? The drug wears off. Let's, let's just marry, it's like taking a non-steroid using individual who starts at 70 kilos, they meet their partner, they know them, who they are. But then later on down the track, they get to 90, 80, they start taking drugs, they get better. It enhances potentially the relationship, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. As opposed to meeting the 95 kilo shredded person, you're like, oh, that's nice. And then him going off drugs and becoming a 70 kilo little whippersnapper and you're like, oh, I don't really like him anymore. Yeah. I think like these sort of enhancements to our life need to happen naturally. Like Not as, meeting someone at their peak. And progressively as opposed to meeting them at their peak. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, fair enough. What does this podcast even become? <laughs> Look, life advice and philosophy. <laughs> Encouragement to take party drugs is what this podcast has oh, become, Dean. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, speaking of which, Portugal has decriminalised all drugs. Oh, lots of European countries. Oh, who else has decriminalised drugs? I was not saying this is European, but I know Brazil does. But there's quite a few of them where it's actually not a criminal act to possess personal use drugs. Or sell? No, it definitely isn't a lot of them. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, in Portugal... You couldn't walk two steps without being offered drugs. Still illegal, though, for them to do that. But decriminalised. They won't get a criminal record. Unless they're deemed to have enough to be distributors. Right. Well, everyone was distributors. Everyone was trying to sell, if you're a guy, yeah. everyone is trying to sell Dean drugs. I rarely got offered, but you can just spot them. They just stand around on corners. They're mm. everywhere. And they kind of wait until you just walk past them and they're like, sniff, smoke. Like, yeah, cool. <laughs> well, we were like, no sugar? I'm not sure. <laughs> crushed up panel um yeah anyways we will end the podcast there guys hope you enjoyed the episode would Look you out. rather oh yeah i haven't done a would you rather Shit, all right mate. dean did all you right. go on for me or i'll no, no, get one for you don't let me do this all right dean can't think on his toes Danya. no you really need to sit down at the desk would, <laughs> Shit joke. would you rather they, should, they deserve the move <laughs> oh but i put my soundboard. why don't away. i have the soundboard you should have the soundboard mm. i'm gonna get better at the soundboard guys don't worry it's going to happen. Whoa. Would you rather every time you train be limited to 25 minutes in the gym mm -hmm. or you have to be there for two and a half hours? 25 minutes. Would you? Yeah. Two and a half is just too long for me. 25 minutes isn't long enough. Oh, uh, no, I can get a lot done. 
So as a quick, just to make this a little bit sciencey, right? Yeah. Is that they know when, you know, when volume is roughly equated from a tonnage perspective, okay. yes. that you can pretty much achieve the same growth. Mm -hmm. So most people take that research and say, if you rest for short periods of time and you do less volume, it's bad for growth. Like, well, how has it just do more sets then in the same amount of time and achieve the same volume? Because when they do that, it works out about the same. Mm -hmm. So I just get a shit ton done in 25 minutes. And warm up before you go into the gym. So well, you, you can just do your working sets. By virtue of the 25 minutes, if, if that's the rule that I'm allowed to warm up outside the gym, step inside and go for it, yeah, probably. But if not, you could just start lighter. Um, the lightness isn't necessarily a, a problem in the initial phase. Right. So what you're saying is you would choose a pyramid scheme in the sense that, you know, we always want to be a few reps from failure. So you would just pick up like 20 kilo dumbbells and rep it out for 20 reps or more, however many you can do on 20 yeah. kilos, and then just get heavier with less reps. Yeah. yeah because the, the risk for injury reduces as the load reduces. Yeah. Okay. Like and then it. so long as you're technically getting the same amount of tonnage lifted for a relatively similar amount of effective reps in the total session, how you get that done up to you? Smart. Not the most optimal way to train. No, no, don't but do it. In this, don't instance, do that. in this instance, I would take the um, okay. the 25 minutes. 25 minutes. Just because there's fuck man. I'd rather two and a half hours is too long. Fuck. It is. Like if you account for the fact that you've got to travel there, travel home, that's a four-hour adventure. Mm. Pass. Yeah, pass. I don't know where it for. I think if I was forced to spend two and a half hours at the gym, I would only go like twice and I would fit all my sessions. Still, still not ideal, yeah. but I'm not spending more than five hours a week at the gym. Are you kidding me? Mm. Got a life. Got a life. Yeah, even in prep, I think I maxed out at maybe an hour and 15. Mm. And that's just because I was dragging ass. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully, right. you guys have enjoyed this podcast. We will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.